You see that stupid number in your checking account? It's called wasted potential. Now I'm gonna let you in on a little secret about something called the portfolio. And it's not gonna build itself, okay? Without you, it's just another number on a screen. Like a jungle full of bananas and no ape in sight. Well, I'm gonna take you to that jungle. Because in the case of these portfolios, it is gonna be up to each and every one of you. My speculative degenerates, my apes, and of course my apets, who will not hit the cell until your account either flies or flops and dies! Hello everyone and welcome back to Always Picking Electric Securities. It's your host Alex Marku and today is January 31st, 2022. And I know it's been a while since my last episode, so thank you for patiently waiting. And my plan for today will be to discuss what I'm going to be doing with my crypto segment moving forward and the liquidity loopering pools that I've been experimenting with over the last two weeks. Then for our beloved stocks, I'll give a quick recap of what happened over January and what's to be expected for this upcoming year based off of Jerome Powell's Fed policy. Then, after talking about the stocks and crypto for this portfolio, I'll be moving on to sports. Because for this week, we've got some action for the CONCAFA World Cup qualifiers and from basketball that I'm going to be wanting to play some bets on. And then after I give out my bet picks, I'm going to be wrapping up the episode and there's not going to be a teaching moment today. Well, at least not a formal one. I still hope you'll learn something new today. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the episode. Financial Disclaimer Since this is an investing podcast, I will give out the disclaimer that everything I do on this podcast has the potential to reach 100% loss. Welcome back, apes and retail investors that think alike. Let me dive into a quick apes portfolio update before I jump into the crypto and stock talk. So for my securities department, it's valued at $468.31. My cryptocurrency department has fallen to about $147.92. And my gambling segment is staying steady at $493.94. This puts my total portfolio value at $1,110.17 or at a loss at about 7.5%. Alright, now that you know I'm down about 7.5% since I started this portfolio, let's get into what I actually care about, which is the actual lessons you learn. Because in the long run, I'm hoping that percentage is going to be positive and a lot bigger. And the first thing I wanted to get into today on the investing segment is, what's my plan going to be with the crypto department? because I've clearly stated how I'm dissatisfied with Coinbase, and now for that matter of fact, almost any centralized broker out there for crypto. So I'm gonna be exploring crypto how it's meant to be by just being out in the wild west. And what my plan with the crypto department will be for this portfolio at least, is gonna be to just try and find all of these coins and buy them off of servers or whatever kind of exchanges I can find. So right now that might not make a whole lot of sense, but as time goes on and I find certain projects, I'll let you know how I buy those coins and how I plan on withdrawing those coins from that broker into my wallets. Because for this portfolio, my plan is going to be to use a MetaMask wallet for all these Ethereum based tokens and then to use my real Ledger Live wallet 
which is just a cold hard storage wallet for your crypto coins, for any kinds of coins that I can't store on the MetaMask one. So real quick before I move on, if you're confused right now, what these wallets are are just storage systems if you will for you to store your coins on them. Now Coinbase acts as a broker, so you're able to store, hypothetically, your coins through Coinbase's system. But in order to use Coinbase as a broker, they have all of these little fees and nuanced stuff attached to them that sometimes you don't really notice until you have to make the deal itself. So what I'm going to be doing now for this crypto segment is I'm going to be searching for certain projects and coins out there and then I'm going to find out how to buy it. And then I'm going to be transferring all of those coins into either my MetaMask wallet or my real life Ledger Live wallet, which is the first wallet I bought myself when I originally got into crypto because I figured if I'm going to be buying this kind of stuff, why don't I store it in my own wallet? Now, I wanted to see if it was possible to transfer or withdraw the coins from Coinbase to these wallets, and it is, but it's not worth it. Or at least for me, since all of my coins are bought at such a small scale, it's not worth it. Because if I wanted to transfer, let's say, 15 of the BAT tokens I bought over to my MetaMask wallet, you know what my transaction fee for those 15 tokens are? It's about 9 tokens of BAT, so this means only 6 would get transferred over. Now why would I do that? Because that's essentially two-thirds of my tokens going back to Coinbase. So what my plan is on Coinbase is to just treat it like a dead wallet. I'm going to forget it exists, even though the money is still there. And at some point when these coins values are a lot higher, I'm going to sell it off and then I'm going to withdraw the cash from Coinbase instead of trying to transfer these coins out. And the reason I'm doing this is because I know the fee associated to withdrawing all of my fiat cash currency is going to be a lot less than if I try and withdraw all of these coins individually. Literally two-thirds of a transaction fee. So moving forward, the crypto segment is definitely going to be more of an experiment and it might take a while to fully develop. Because I do like trading on Loopring, but I can only trade Ethereum-based projects on Loopring so far. And this also means that if I wanted to buy tokens like Bitcoin that aren't traded on Loopring, then I would need to go find a different provider so I could buy those coins and then transfer them to my wallets. I just wanted you as a listener to know what my plan will be going for with these crypto projects because it's not going to be as straightforward as the stock trading. I'm not going to be able to say, go open your TD Ameritrade account and buy this stock, or how I used to try and do where I would say, open up your Coinbase account and buy this coin. The reason I don't want to do that anymore is because of these ridiculous fees. And most likely I've already mentioned this new crypto strategy I have implemented for this portfolio, but I'm bringing it up because at the very end of this investing segment, I'm going to be letting you know how I'll be splitting up the $100 I plan to redeposit for this Apes portfolio. And if I'm going to say split 60 of it to stocks and 40 of it to the crypto, I'm not going to be meaning put $40 into your Coinbase account. This just means have $40 tucked away for your crypto projects. But now, let me move on to what my teaching moment really is for the episode. Because if I really wanted to, I could have just waited another day or two to post an episode, but I wanted to inform you on the loopring process and the protocol I've had so far, at least in the liquidity pools. And while I was busy not posting at all for this Apes portfolio, 
What I was doing is I was adding money on Looprings Layer 2 system using Ethereum in this MetaMask wallet that I already talked about. And then I was experimenting by adding actual coins into a liquidity pool. So I added two kinds of coins into a liquidity pool. I have one liquidity pool that contains coins of Loopring and Ethereum. And then I have a second liquidity pool I've created, which is Loopring and just USD coins. So now let me explain using my actual situation as a real life example by what I mean by this. And the first liquidity pool I created was when I deposited 118 Loopring and 0.05 Ethereum into the liquidity pool, which gave me 4.2 tokens, if you will. This means that from my Loopring Layer 2 wallet, I took about 118 coins and 0.05 Ethereum out of it and I gave it to Loopring's Layer 2 liquidity pool system. This means that when people perform trades on Loopring, these kinds of coins, at least the 118 and 0.05 Ethereum I provided, can be used for the exchange. Now, it gives me 4.2 tokens, just as a valuation for if I want to withdraw my money and take this liquidity out. And for this specific liquidity pool, I actually started it before the other one. So I had my coins sit in this kind of liquidity pool for about 17 days. The reason I tell you it's been sitting there for about 17 days is because if you have your coins sitting in this liquidity pool, you earn a portion of the fees that are being traded on this whole system, if you will. So the fees I've earned in just 17 days is 0.7 loop ring. So I've earned 70% of one whole loop ring coin. And then the Ethereum one is a lot much larger of a decimal point, but I've earned 0.0002561 Ethereum. Yes, that's a lot of little zeros there, but these are all Ethereum and Loopring coins I earned by just keeping my coins in this liquidity pool for just 17 days. Now, the second liquidity pool I added was one in Loopring coins and US dollar coins. Now, on Loopring's trading platform, it lists US dollars as US dollar coin. And I'm guessing it does that just so it can trade US dollars. I don't know what the real reason is, but regardless, USDC is US dollars. So, I decided to add 113 Loopring coins and about 100 US dollars to this liquidity pool this way. However, for this liquidity pool, I've only had my coins in there for about 7 days. So 10 less days than the Ethereum and Loopring liquidity pool I have. That said, in those 7 days, the fees I've earned from just that liquidity pool itself is 0.54 Loopring coins and 56 cents. So in just 7 days, by depositing 113 Loopring and $100 in this liquidity pool, I've earned about half a Loopring coin and 56 cents. Not too bad, especially if you kind of compare it to the Ethereum one. Now before I try and explain my reasoning for why I'm even adding liquidity to this liquidity pool, let me break down some more numbers for you. Because I decided to break down how much I would make in a given year on both of these liquidity pools if I decided to just leave my coins in there. And I also have to give in the assumption that I'm earning the coins at the same rate I've been earning for the past 7 days in one of the pools and 17 days in the past one. Now, I'm making a very linear assumption, but assuming this assumption, in my first liquidity pool, the Loopring one and Ethereum one, if I were to keep my coins in there for one whole year, I would eventually earn about 15 Loopring coins 
and 0.0055 Ethereum. Doesn't seem like much, but keep in mind, these are stuff I earned for just holding off my coins in there. Also, on the other liquidity pool, the one that contains loopring and US dollar coins, I would earn about 28 and a half loopring coins after a year and $29.20. Now, keep in mind that making all of these readings in terms of fiat currency can actually kind of be a little bit tricky, and I'll give you my explanation for why right now. Because loopring, Ethereum, and all of these crypto coins, for any matter of fact, are very volatile in certain periods of change. So if a coin goes up or down in a drastic manner, the amount of liquidity or coins you can withdraw might change in that given moment. So keep this in mind if you're going to be doing this as a short run basis. What my plan is with these liquidity pools is to keep the coins in there for a long time because in my eyes, I'm earning free coins. And I know it's not free because I had to put up the money up front to just deposit these coins in this kind of liquidity pool in the first place. But now, as long as I don't withdraw these coins, everything I'm earning at some point eventually is going to cancel out. And as soon as I reach that magic number, whatever it is, because I haven't calculated it yet, but whatever it is, as soon as I reach a magic number where it makes sense to withdraw, I will do that. But I think I'll wait a long time for that. Because it seems kind of cool earning coins by literally doing nothing but keeping coins in a pool. However, it would be wrong of me to just mislead you on this statement and think that you're earning just free coins. Because there is a downside risk to this and it's called impairment loss or something close to that. I can't remember off the top of my head. But let me explain what I mean. Because I told you at the very beginning of this little lesson, if you will, how many coins I deposited in. Now what I did at this exact moment when I figured out how much fees I've earned and how many days the coins have been sitting in there, I also hypothetically said, what if I wanted to remove my coins? How many would I get then? So here's where things can get a little bit interesting because these are crypto coins and they are tied to the US dollar or any fiat currency for that matter of fact. They can be very volatile in that aspect. And let me try and tell you what I mean by this. So for my loopring and US dollar coins, I told you that I deposited 113 loopring coins and 100 US dollars. Now if I hypothetically wanted to remove my liquidity from this pool, what would happen is I would only be allowed to remove 105 loopring coins and it would be equivalently equal to $106.76. So do you notice how essentially I lost 8 loopring coins worth of value, but I gained $6.76 in value. Now, as long as the 8 loopring coins isn't a drastic number, it shouldn't really matter. But let's pretend that one loopring coin was equal to $10. This would mean I lost $80 worth of loopring fiat currency while only gaining $6.76 on the opposite side. Now you'd also have to add the fees you've earned during this whole process to finally mitigate all the losses, but I want to let you know that this is a possibility. The amount of coins when you withdraw might change over time, because after all these cryptocurrencies are tied to a fiat currency. And in my other liquidity pool, just to give you a separate example, I deposited 118 loopring coins and 0.05 ethereum. Well, if I wanted to remove it right now, I would be removing 126.5 loopring coins and just 0.047 ethereum. 
so I would have lost about 0.003 Ethereum value worth while also gaining myself 8.5 Loopring coins. And I'll tell you right now, it's goddamn nearly impossible to calculate your risk at least in the future for when you try to withdraw this, but I want to let you know, the only time this actually truly will affect you would be let's say if one of the coins you have in your liquidity pool decides to go on a huge bull run while the other coin doesn't. This could actually significantly affect the amount of coins you're able to withdraw out of your account. But it also depends on what kind of scope you're putting your coins in for the liquidity pool for. If you're trying to make a quick profit or you're trying to time the bottom and maybe do a quick swing, then that's on you if it happens. However, if you're like me and you put your coins in this liquidity pool just so you can slowly earn coins over time, then these runups really shouldn't affect you. And if you want a way to hedge against it or make sure you're not really severely affected, well then just buy the actual coins itself and don't put all of your coins in the liquidity pool. That way when you're going on a bull run, you can enjoy the ride as well. And the last point I wanted to make before I move on to my stock talk is that you're essentially getting a dividend on your crypto investments by having some kind of liquidity pool. I mean, that's just the way I see it. I might not be 100% correct in that, but here's what I mean. Remember how for one of my liquidity pools, I said if I were to keep my coins in there for a whole year, I would wind up earning $29.20 off of the fees earned? Well, I did the little math, and in total, it cost me about $471.42 of real fiat currency. That means US dollar. So $471 is what it cost me to buy all of these coins to eventually move them around and put them in this liquidity pool. And I'm not counting the extra gas fees I had to make to transfer my coins from Binance to MetaMask and then from MetaMask to Loopring. And I'm not including the gas fees because I didn't really keep track of it. So if you wanted to get a more accurate representation of the total cost, you would have to keep track of these gas fees. But I didn't, so let's just roll with it. So I'm going to say it cost me about $470 just to open up these liquidity pools. Well, if I'm going to earn at least $29.20 in one year of just holding my coins there, do you know what that is? That's a 6.1% dividend return rate on just one year, and that's just considering the cash. I'm not considering any of the loopring coins or the Ethereum I earned. So how did I get this 6.1 number? Well, I did a $29.20 I would earn by just holding onto these coins for one year in this liquidity pool, and I divided it by the total amount of fiat currency, you will say, which was $470. And by doing this, you can find out what a dividend yield return would be for a certain stock. But this isn't stock, ladies and gentlemen. This is cryptocurrency. So I just took a concept from stocks and applied them to cryptos. It's not 100%. Because the fees you earn vary and change day to day based on the actual trading activity. But it at least gives you a pretty solid number for what you can expect. And I'm expecting just a 6% return for just the cash portion of these dividend returns. Because remember, I'm still getting 28.5 loopring coins from one of those liquidity pools, another 15 loopring coins from a different loopring pool attached with the 0.0055 ethereum tokens so you can clearly see how my 6.1 percent dividend return yield on just this 470 dollars invested is clearly a lowball estimate 
because I'm not even taking into consideration for the fiat value of 43 and a half loop ring tokens mixed with 0.0055 Ethereum. And if you can find a stock out there in the stock market that provides you a 6.1% dividend yield return rate, then you're better off putting your money there. If not, you might want to look into this loop ring idea. Okay, so that's all I'm going to be having on Loopring so far, and I'm looking forward to what this cryptocurrency segment will bring in the future for this podcast and this portfolio. Next, I wanted to dive into some quick stock talk, and it's not going to take up too much of your time. Honestly, talking about Loopring is the primary focus of today's episode, but I wanted to give a quick recap of what my mindset is on the stock market right now. Because this past month in January, if you've been following, could have been a little bit troubling for you because it's a very volatile market right now and I want to give my two cents into why I think it is this way. Now on any given day, there can be hundreds and thousands of variables that affect the stock market itself. So if you hear people trying to explain to you why a certain stock went up one day and why a certain stock goes down the next, well then they're most likely just talking out of their ass because they don't really know. I mean, you can have an idea, and you can kind of guesstimate, but at the end of the day, you truly don't know. The markets aren't transparent enough for someone to really point a finger and say, this is what happened. You can't point and say, oh, this exchange decided to close out half of their positions, which made this other exchange liquidate everything they had. You really can't see that behind the scenes. But what else would there be to talk about in the stock market if we weren't trying to speculate why things went up and down? I mean, we could talk about actual market transparencies and stuff like that, but that shit's boring. So, let me give you my two cents on why I think the stock market is volatile right now, but this doesn't necessarily point to a crash or a bull run coming up next. What this points out to is just to be weary and aware of market conditions, because if something happens you're going to know exactly which direction it's going to go, and it's going to go in that direction quick. So for starters, Jerome Powell is a name you're going to hear a lot because he's the Federal Reserve policy man. He's the big chief with the glasses that gets up and talks to Congress and says what the Fed policy is going to be. And if you remember, sometime in early December, I talked about how he was implementing a tapering off strategy. What this meant is, the Fed was going to buy back bonds at a lower rate. So if they're buying back bonds at, let's say, $500 million a month, this means they're kind of going to cut it back to, let's say, 300 and then eventually 200 And maybe they want to drop it all the way down to 100 Well, they can't do that in the course of just one month, so they have to do something called tapering off. So tapering off started last year at the end of the quarter. Well, so far, it's not doing too well, Because there's been a lot of market turmoil over the past couple months. And it's really hammered down on certain growth stock companies. Like take Netflix for example. They went from 515 to 385 within about a week because they came out with their earnings report and the forecast for how many members are going to keep subscribing to Netflix was a little bit lower than what they had predicted. So this merits a nearly 50% stock drop? I wouldn't say so, but what I would say is that tapering is starting to work its way into the market system. Because when the Fed starts talking about tapering, you know what the next step is, and that's a raise in interest rates. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, 
I'm pretty sure since I've been born, I'm not sure there's been a raise in interest rates. I'm pretty sure the only thing the Fed's known to do is make them lower. And that has made borrowing money super easy, to the point where for some people it might even seem free. And what I mean by some people is the 1%, so don't worry, you're not some people. But maybe you've been able to experience better interest rates because of this policy. On a personal level, I wouldn't really know right now because I haven't had to take out a loan yet. However, I am house hunting this year, so probably sometime at the end of it, I'll take out a fat loan, and I'll let you know what the process is like then. But back to my stock talk and Mr. Jerome Powell, because one of his most recent meetings in January was a talk about the interest rate hikes schedule that he has in plan for this year, and he plans to raise interest rates as early as March. Now, interest rates right now are practically zero. I'm pretty sure it's either zero or 0.25. I'm not sure off the top of my head. And even if I look this information up, I wouldn't even know what to look at to truly get a real number off of it. So I'm gonna say the interest rates are zero, just for practicality's sake. And now the raise of interest rates is just like tapering off. Let's say the Fed wants a target ideal interest rate of two and a half percent. Well, they can't just go from zero to two and a half percent overnight. That would put a lot of credit at risk. And if a lot of credit at risk defaults, well, then I guess that would be considered shit officially hitting the fan. And that in no means is what the Fed is trying to do. The Fed isn't here trying to play pump and dump with the stock market. They're trying to keep the economy alive and running and avoid recessions at any given moment. And because inflation is starting to actually affect the real consumer at a drastic rate, I would say, interest rates are going to be helping the consumer. They're going to be hurting companies. But you know what my opinion is? Fuck them. Because they should be able to hand this interest rate change. Borrowing money should not be so easy that it's basically free. Interest rates are integral to a market system. And from since the time I was born, or even 2000, Interest rates have been nearly zero, so borrowing money for almost 20 years straight has been too easy. And no one really knows what the target rate for these interest rates are, but there have been predictions made by these big banks of course because they need to make these predictions for how many interest rate hikes we might get. And the prediction ranges from anywhere from 2 interest rate hikes to 5 interest rate hikes. So let's say each interest rate hike is just a quarter of a percent. So this means 0.25%. Well, if there's five interest rate hikes and it's a 0.25 increase each time, this means by the end of the year, interest rates will be sitting at 1.25%. Anyone close to defaulting on their credit is absolutely fucked. And also any company or business that relies upon borrowing money as a primary source of operations is also absolutely fucked. Do you also wanna know what happens when interest rates get introduced into the market? The valuations of everything, I'm not talking about stocks, I'm talking about everything, becomes more reasonable. So this means those houses with higher interest rates are now gonna be at lower values because now when you borrow this money, you're expected to pay a little bit more interest. And it's the Fed's job to kind of teeter and tatter with this with these interest rates, with the tapering, and with how much money they print to kind of keep the economy stable and growing at the same time. What the Fed has realized is that during COVID, 
All this free money printing they've been doing to kind of relief the pressures of the economy is starting to affect the people. So guess what the Fed's doing? They're trying to reverse some of the actions. Now, what's going to happen to the stock market? I can't say 100%. If I wanted to say off a gut feeling, I would say I think at some point, once we hit a magic number, maybe half a percent interest rate or maybe even 1% interest rate, you might start seeing a little bit of a bear market case be made. Until this magic number is hit, we might still see this, what you would call a bubble period. Now I'm not saying we're in a bubble because you never really know what a bubble is until you zoom out in hindsight. But what I can tell you right now is the Fed has printed a large sum amount of money and what I've talked about in my reverse repo rates and made it really clear that this money printing shit is in my opinion the primary cause of this inflation. So I think the Fed is trying to backtrack on all of this. Well, if the stock market started pumping when the Fed started printing, my only intuition leads me to say that when the Fed starts to backtrack on these issues and policies, that it's going to start bringing the stock market back to at least a reasonable valuation. Now, whether that valuation is back at what it was before the Fed started this, I can't say. But what I can tell you is that now you're going to start to find out the true valuation of companies. So if a company is severely overvalued, like let's say Peloton, a goddamn bike with an iPad on it, then it's going to get hammered. But if a company out there has true value, let's say a Coca-Cola, they could actually raise in value. So you're about to find out with these interest rate hikes and the tapering off from the Fed what the true value of certain companies are. This isn't good or bad. But what I can tell you from a sector point of view is growth stocks are primarily the first stocks affected when it comes to interest rate hikes, what are growth stocks you may ask? Well, the Netflixes, Disney's, Amazon's, and really in my version, GameStop, but I don't know if Wall Street is going to be viewing GameStop as a growth stock. It still might be cyclical. But those are the primary growth stock companies because they rely a lot on their revenue growth. They also borrow a lot to implement new ideas and try to quote unquote grow. So when the borrowing becomes harder because of these interest rates, it affects this revenue line. And when it affects the revenue line, it's going to lower those future forecasted numbers that you had when interest rates were at zero. So now you see why growth companies aren't going to really do primarily well initially with interest rate hikes. Now as soon as a company configures all the interest rate stuff, you'll see which growth companies are good ones and which ones aren't. At least that's my two cents. After all, I'm still just a 24-year-old degenerate who likes investing in the stock market, crypto market, and gambling, and I've never really lived through a stock market crash other than when I was in middle school, so I can't really remember it. But what I can tell you is from the small amount of times I paid attention in my accounting classes, this kind of stuff doesn't really spell good news. I didn't really understand the interest rate stuff too much because that falls more on the economic side of the activities but I can tell you this that when interest rates go up typically valuations go down and before I get everyone worried and I'm not trying to I want to kind of refresh your mind into thinking positively because even if stocks were to crash it's not considered a stock market crash until an index has fallen about 20% from its recent highs 
in a short period of time. Whatever the short period of time may be, maybe one quarter, which is three months. Now, I'm telling you this because if you start seeing a stock market crash of more than 20%, this isn't the end of the world. The only time you should start worrying is when we're facing serious considerations as an economy of going into what's known as a recession. Because going into a recession, I can tell you right now, is way worse than a stock market crash. Because in a recession, everyone is suffering. In a stock market crash, those who are investing are suffering. And maybe your 401k accounts. But at least you can still find jobs. At least everything is running normal in the world. And the world isn't churning to shit because of a recession. So what's a recession? Well, technically by the law and by the book, a recession is considered anything that has two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. The reason I point this out, and it's two consecutive quarters, so this means back-to-back three-month periods, is because this means for half a year, the world would almost have to go to shit for us to be considered in a recession. So if you feel like the stock market is crashing for just two or three months, remember, try and look up. You're not in a recession yet. And if you do hit a recession after those six-month period, it would be classified as recession. Recessions typically only last 11 months. So if we're lucky and unlucky, and we manage to hit a recession because of all this COVID and Fed money printing policy changes, well, we would have about five months left of our recession once it's titled the recession in the newspapers, given by this average. Now the great D word, which I hope I never use in my lifetime, but you never really know, is a depression. And a depression is considered to be a recession that spans on for multiple years. So I would consider a depression anything that's four quarters or more, because four quarters is one year. So if you get to one full year of being in a recession, I think as an economy, you've got to seriously start considering calling it a depression and figuring your shit out. Luckily, even if there's this huge stock market crash coming up, which I am hopeful there isn't, and I don't think there will be because the Fed, I think, is going to find a way to taper off and raise interest rates at just the right precise amount, so at least it's not detrimental, like 30% or 40% fall would suck, but 80% would be detrimental. So I think the Fed's going to do everything in their power to keep the economy running while the stock market not completely a shit show. Which in turn, I think will help us, at least America, economically not get itself into a recession. I'm also going to be 100% honest, I'm not following all of the global politics out there in the world. So I can't speak of all the other countries. But at least for North America, I'm not really sure if they're going to be in a recession anytime soon. However, for a stock market crash, this shit's bound to pop at some point because, well, the Fed can't be pumping money from the end of 2019 and then in the middle of COVID and after COVID forever. And if you can read between the lines, you clearly can see how Jerome Powell is saying the Fed needs to backtrack on whatever the hell it was doing during COVID to keep the economy running because it can't keep doing this Otherwise, inflation is going to get so high, you'll be carrying your money in wheelbarrows. So that's all the stock talk and crypto talk I have today for the investing segment. And before I end the segment, I want to let you know that I will be depositing $100 today for my portfolio. 
Now what my plan will be is to put 50 of it into TD Ameritrade and then 50 of it I'm setting aside for the crypto projects. So this means at any given moment, if I find out I can buy a crypto off of let's say a website or something, I'll have at least $50 allocated for that buying power, if this makes sense. You'll see as it goes along, I hope it does. And because the next episode, which will be on Thursday, is going to be the first one of that month, I'll be giving you an update on all of my position holdings so you know where I'm sitting. And for stocks and cryptos, I can tell you we're well in the red right now, ladies and gentlemen. So if the markets continue to stay red throughout February, well, I hope you all get an umbrella and you manage to stay dry and stay safe out there. Till next time, ape out. Welcome back my friendly degenerates and anyone that just likes to listen to this part of the sports gambling segment. I would like to say, if you've been following my gambling picks, I'd like to send out my apologies for literally taking a two week hiatus. I honestly was just a bit busy prepping out the garden because it's almost springtime here and I want to plant some seeds. Aside from growing two strong weed plants, I also want to grow some awesome crops. So I wanted to make sure everything's prepped out, so as soon as I plant the seeds, all I have to do is water it and let it grow. With that said, I still apologize to you if you were following me for my sports picks. Sometime in the future I'll be making a Twitter specifically for this Apes podcast, and I'll be putting my picks on there as well, just in case I ever take another hiatus, or manage to miss another episode or two again. For now, everything's a work in progress, and let me just recap you on the bet slips I made and lost since wildcard weekend in the NFL, and then I'm going to be giving you some picks I have for this upcoming week. And now let me do my best to take you all the way back in time to the NFL playoff wildcard round, where I had a bet slip of the Bengals to win by 6, the Patriots money line, the Eagles money line, the Niners money line, the Chiefs to win by at least 12, and the Rams to win by at least 4. And for this round robin bet, by risking $3 on every two parlays created, I wound up risking $45 total. And by going 4 for 6 with my picks, the Patriots and the Eagles losing being the only ones that didn't win, I wound up profiting $28.11. So obviously a lot has happened since then because we already have the Super Bowl determined. It's going to be the Bengals and the Rams. That's insane because the Rams are a team that went all in and you could make a case and point argument that you could have seen them in the Super Bowl. However, the Bengals, the Cincinnati Bengals, no one could have seen them making the Super Bowl. Not even their fans because this year was the first time they won a playoff game at home for the first time in 31 years and now they're in the Super Bowl. So yeah, They've had a 31-year playoff drought for wins at home, and now they're in the Super Bowl. So honestly, props to them, because they were a huge underdog coming into this whole NFL playoff slate. And the fact that they were able to take care of the Raiders at home, which it's the first playoff game, and honestly, they had to get that monkey off their back to win at home. So that's no easy feat. And then after you do that, they had to go in and play the number one seed Tennessee Titans, And they came out on top victorious in that match. But then after beating the Titans, you have to go play the Kansas City Chiefs? Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs? In Kansas? Well, guess what? 
The Bengals did just that, and they pulled off another upset win. But this time it was even more crazy because they were down 21-3 and eventually came back winning it 27-24. Now the Rams' path to playoffs was hard, but I wouldn't argue that it was as hard as the Bengals. Because they were able to have a home game against the Cardinals for that wildcard weekend, which they absolutely slapped them. And then they went on to play the Bucks, and they nearly choked up a huge 27-3 lead, but they wound up not blowing it and getting a game-winning field goal at the end. And then, the game that was very exciting last night was the Niners and Rams. That was a close one and they came back down from 10 points. So both these teams, the Rams and the Bengals, deserve to be in the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl will be on February 13th, so I'll be sure to have a bet pick when it comes around that time. For now, I just wanted to catch you up where we are in the NFL because I clearly missed a lot of bet slips in between. And to make up for those missed bet slips, I'm hoping these upcoming ones for this week are gonna make up for all the wins and losses we would have had. If not, well, let's keep the show rolling. So for this upcoming week, there's actually some exciting action happening in the world of soccer. We've got FIFA matches occurring for the CONCAFA World Cup qualifiers. This means the North American region is having matches played to still see who's going to qualify for FIFA from North America. And there's only three teams that are going to be able to move on. Right now, Canada, USA, and Mexico are those three teams on the standing. However, you've got Panama and Costa Rica sitting behind looking at what could be if they find a way to knock off one of those teams. And most likely, it'll be USA or Mexico because Canada has not lost yet in all of their matches, and it looks like they're definitely going to be one of the teams moving on. Now the matches for these CONCAFA World Cup qualifiers are going to be played on Wednesday, so February 2nd. And the first match that's going to be played is going to be between Jamaica and Costa Rica. The second match on the slate is USA, and they're going to be playing Honduras. For the third game that day, it's going to be El Salvador and Canada, and then we're going to be wrapping up the matches with Mexico visiting Panama. Now I'm not going to be able to tell you that I have any kind of in-depth analysis on these games, but I have been keeping up with the CONCAFA World Cup qualifiers, so I kind of have a small feel for it. That doesn't mean I know what's going to happen though, because after all, this is sports and this is sports betting. But what I can tell you so far, out of the three teams at the top for these standings, Canada, USA, and Mexico in that respective order, at least Canada controls their destiny if they win the games they're supposed to. USA and Mexico, they're in a really close war for dropping off to fourth place if Panama finds a way in. So I know for a fact that Mexico and USA soccer teams are going to be fighting their asses off so that they can qualify for FIFA. Because in terms of soccer, FIFA is the grand stage. FIFA is your Super Bowl. That's your NBA championship, your Stanley Cup, whatever kind of trophy you want to associate it to at your highest level. And it only comes around like the Olympics once every four years. And these upcoming matches on Wednesday are going to be crucial as the tournament for the CONCAFA qualifiers is coming to an end. And if you finish these tables not being top three, you're not moving on and you don't get to represent in the FIFA World Cup that will be played later this year. So now without wasting any more time, and really not real analysis, just opinions, let me dive into what my bet slip is going to be. 
I'm going to be making a 14 pick round robin. Now typically I like to make my round robins to be a lot longer than just four teams, but because there's only four matches and I'm very confident in almost every single pick, I want to make these picks, but I want to do it in a round robin format. This way everything is parlayed together. So for my Concafa match round robin bet slip, I'm going to be choosing Costa Rica's money line over Jamaica. The reason I believe Costa Rica is going to win is because they have a small slim margin of chance while they're sitting in 5th place to find their way into the standings and make a valiant effort to try and get 3rd place before this tournament is over. That only stays alive if they are able to win on Wednesday against Jamaica. If they tie or lose, most likely all of this goes away. So I think Costa Rica is going to come out strong. Which is why I'll be taking their money line against Jamaica in that match. Now moving on to the next game, we're going to be having USA and they're going to be visiting Honduras. Now the USA men's soccer team just lost on Sunday, so yesterday for me, depending when you're listening to this, a long time ago, but they lost to Canada 2-0. So I know USA is going to be a little bit upset and mad about that result and they're going to come out swinging against Honduras. Now I'm going to be picking their spread, which means USA needs to win by at least two goals. I will say this is one bet out of all my bet slips that I'm kind of iffy about because I could see USA winning by just one goal. They're not really a dominant team in this format. They're a good team by no means in North America, but I am used to watching European soccer. And when I watch North American soccer, I'm honestly going to tell you the only team that's really impressed me so far has been Canada and Mexico. USA has some decent runs but they still commit very stupid errors, at least on the men's team. Regardless, I'll be backing USA's men's soccer team to cover at least a two-point spread to win by at least two because I think they're going to rebound from that 2-0 loss to Canada. And then the next game I'll be moving on to is going to be El Salvador and they're going to be visiting Canada. I think Canada is going to easily win this one, although they don't really have too much to fight for. And El Salvador, well this is the last chance. They're sitting in 6th place, and they're not in Costa Rica's boat where if they win they have a chance. They're more like in the boat of, you need to win every single game out here and have some things go your way. Regardless, I think Canada is going to be able to come out dominant and on top because this whole tournament, they have not lost. They've either won or tied. So I think in this match, they're going to find a way to win. And then this will take me to my final game of the evening, which is going to be Mexico visiting Panama. Now Mexico is going to be visiting Panama at night, so there's not going to be a huge heat stroke, which might be a good thing for Mexico. Who knows? Panama is more used to it, but regardless, they're playing in the night, so now the heat won't be a factor. Because of this, I now think both teams are going to be on an even level playing field. And if this is an evil leveled playing field, I can tell you right now, Mexico by far is the better squad. They've also got an amazing goalie. So I think if Mexico is able to put together just two goals, they'll be able to cover their spread of minus one and a half, because I think they could easily win 2-0. Now if they start scoring more, that's just better for the spread. So for this game, I'm clearly going to be leaning on Mexico's spread of minus one and a half, but this is one of those games that Panama has everything to fight for, because they're just one point down in the standings to USA and Mexico. USA and Mexico right now are in 2nd and 3rd place at 18 points. Panama has 17 points. And in terms of soccer, 
If you tie your match, you actually gain one point on your score sheet. And if you win the match, you gain three points. Now, if you lose, you obviously get zero. So you can see how if two teams are tied and one of them happens to tie their match while the other loses, then the one that tied technically moves up in the standings even though they only gained one point. You can see how it's important to gain these points. And well, Panama is only one point down, but they're gonna be playing a very hot-headed Mexico team that came up scoreless against Costa Rica on Sunday. So I think Mexico is gonna come out full swinging, and like I said, if they can manage to at least put up two goals, I think we can at least see Mexico winning 2-0. So altogether, this round robin bet slip is gonna be consisting of Costa Rica's money line, USA men's soccer team to win by at least minus one and a half, so two goals, Canada's money line, and then Mexico again to cover a spread of minus one and a half, meaning to win by at least two goals. If I make a round robin on these four picks, it's going to be creating six, six total parlays. So what I'm going to be doing is putting $10 risk on all six of those parlays. So I'm risking a total of $60 on this CONCAFA round robin bet slip. Now, because I'm so confident in at least the teams I pick will win, I decided to also make a parlay of this. But instead of doing the two team spreads, just in case USA or Mexico happen to just win by one goal, I decided to parlay the team's money lines only. Now the reason I'm doing all four teams is because USA and Mexico are heavy favorites. So to just place money on them would be, well, kind of dumb. Like a $5 bet on Mexico would pay out like a dollar or even less. So I'm not trying to risk that kind of money in case they get upset or even tie. But because I'm so confident in at least the teams I picked will win, I'm going to make a four-team pick parlay of just the money lines for the exact same round-robin bet slips I had. So what I mean by that is I'll be choosing Costa Rica, USA, Canada, and Mexico's money line, and I'm going to be making it a four-team parlay. I'll be risking $10 on that, and the odds on this parlay is set at plus 683, so this means if Costa Rica, USA, Canada, and Mexico all win, and it has to be a win, it can't be a draw, if they all win on Wednesday, then I'm going to be making $68.30 on this bet slip. And what's great is that if they all win, and let's say for my round robin bet slip, USA and Mexico weren't able to cover their spreads, well then this parlay will pay off for my risk bet on that round robin. Now, it's a stretch, but just showing you how I like to make my bet slips. Now, soccer is not the only sport I wanted to bet on this week because I wanted to put some money on tomorrow's NBA action. So I know I flopped the round because I gave you some picks on Wednesday's games, and now I'm going to be giving you some NBA picks for tomorrow's games, which will be on February 1st. And it looks like from tomorrow's matchups, there's going to be seven games for the slate. Now I'm not going to be making a pick for every single game because I only like five teams from the slate. And the five teams that I like are the Heat, Nuggets, Bulls, Warriors, and Suns. Now the Heat are going to be visiting the Raptors in Toronto, the Nuggets are going to be traveling to the Timberwolves facilities, and the Warriors are also on the road against the Spurs. But the Bulls are going to be at home against the Magic and the Suns are going to be at home against the Nets. And what I'll be doing for my bet slip is I'll be creating a five-team pick round-robin slate. 
And what I'll be doing is I'll be choosing the Heat, Nuggets, Bulls, Warriors, and Suns spread or money line if they're an underdog. Now, from all the teams I just picked, I highly doubt they're going to be an underdog. But on the off chance they are, make sure you don't pick the plus side spread and you choose their money line straight up because I think they will win. But for all those heavy sided money lines, just stick with the spread instead because I'm not trying to win $1 off of $5 risked. And because I only have 5 picks for this round robin, it's going to create 10 total parlays. So what I'm going to be risking is $5 on every single parlay created for a total of $50 risked on this bet slip. And which again, this bet slip is going to be the spread or money line if the team is an underdog. And those teams are the Heat, Nuggets, Bulls, Warriors, and Suns, all for tomorrow's action on February 1st. And that's going to be concluding the two days of bet slips I have prepped out for you. So altogether, I'll be risking 100 total dollars, $60 total on the Concafa round robin bet slip I created, $10 risked on that one 14 pick parlay for my Concafa World Cup qualifiers, which is just following my round robin bet slips, but this time it's picking the money line, and it's just one 14 pick parlay instead of a round robin bet. And then I finally have the day before these soccer games are played, the NBA slate I just laid out, which will be risking $50 on that. So altogether, that should be about $120, and I just now realized that I said $100, so I don't know how to do math. So I take back that we will be risking $100 over the next two days, because I'm going to be risking $120 over the next two days on these three bet slips. So whether you decide to fade or follow my picks, I hope you're finding a way to make money if you're sitting here putting in the time listening to this podcast. So that's all I've got planned for you today, my lovely degenerates and all you apes. And until next time, ape out. Make sure you find other growth hobbies as well so you're not just growing numbers on a screen. Remember, there's a real life out there as well.